What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Q&A. For our first question, Joshua M. asks if the mod gang fits the aesthetic of Tatooine. So I've seen a lot of people talking about whether or not the mods fit not just Tatooine, but Star Wars as a whole. Is it Star Wars? Yeah, it, it does it feel Star Wars. It didn't feel like Star Wars. And I don't know, they didn't bug me at all. I mean, I, I agree with people that said that the chase felt slow. Like, that was my least favorite part of the episode. But the actual aesthetic did not bug me because I was like, it's it's as Star Wars as Dex's diner. It's like mm-hmm. it's a 50s diner. So like if we can accept that the the brightly colored scooters like didn't really cross my mind. Yeah, I mean, I did think uh, on our live stream last night, Lucky made a good point that they just looked too clean. Yes. To be you know, in a on a desert planet that's, you know, sand is everywhere constantly and just like sand blasting the paint off of stuff. So that was the only thing that kind of made me feel a little iffy about it. I do think during the actual chase, it gave me like Mario Kart vibes. Right. Of just like the different color of cars like moving around. But well, you mentioned them looking like they were on a rail, like on a track, which they probably were. And it gave me kind of like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride (laughs) vibes where they're just kind of like chugging along and like turning. And I I think they were trying to do as much of it practically as they could. And obviously there are some CG shots in there. Um, But yeah, it didn't bug me that like these scooters exist in Star Wars. Yeah, I I appreciate that they, anytime that they try to do things more practically for effects and stuff like that, but... It did feel, yeah, like they were on like an amusement park track and it felt a little bit like I was watching like the the Indiana Jones stunt show at Disney. Something was just a little bit off for the the actual chase scene, but the gang of youths (laughs) and their uh, speeder bikes didn't really bug me much, but we learned about mod subculture, which... Which I had never heard of before. We didn't know anything about that. But I I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it's like in the 50s and 60s 60s in London, uh, it became a trend where the youths, I don't know what else to call them other than youths. Yeah, well, that's what the water merchants called them, so why not? The youths um, would, yeah, get these like super complicated looking motorcycles and just cover them in like mirrors and like gadgets and stuff and it was like their thing was that's all they cared about was their like appearance and their motorcycles and they kept them really clean and that's just what they did and and so to me that that makes me think that they were stealing water uh, for sure, they wanted to drink it, but also their speeders were probably clean because they used the water on their speeders first. <laughs> I think Lucky, our, our guest for the the live stream, was telling us about mod cult, subculture, and he was like, if they had a chance to either eat or smoke cigarettes, they would eat cigarettes or something like that. <laughs> it was all about you know their appearance and stuff. Which, yeah, I'm like, okay, I I see where they're coming from this. And uh, Joshua points out that Hello Greedo in his review said that it it was a very George Lucas idea. And I agree with that. It feels very American graffiti. Mm -hmm. It does like it's abnormal for Star Wars, I would say, 
that that they go really hard at the 50s stuff but there's definitely precedent for it so i i didn't really blink twice at the whole thing yeah so according to wikipedia the mod sub subculture included stuff like tailor-made um suits music including soul rhythm blaz 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 blues scott jazz um and their motor scooters usually lambretta or vespa so like that's what they were all about and it does feel very much like something george lucas would have been into growing up and then would have yeah wanted to put in star wars Mm -hmm. It does, I I will agree with the criticism for now that it feels a little antithetical to the idea that these are just like down on their luck kids that can't find work. And it's like, they did dress very fancy and they have these nice scooters where I was like, okay, I I don't know how to feel about this. So They came off as kind of bratty to me, but I think that's what they're supposed to be. And like, they've probably just been stealing parts and you know just not not doing good stuff to get their money and their things the the thing is the second chapter of the book of boba fett got me on board like i was iffy on chapter one and then the second chapter i was like i get it i see what this story is and then i've seen so many people agreeing with that and then after chapter three be like no the series garbage again and i'm like are we gonna do this every week it's like no i saw a lot in chapter three that I loved. And yeah, the scooter gang is a little iffy, but that was like 10% of the episode. I've seen so many people just complaining about the scooter chase. And I'm like, I get it. I thought it looked rough, but that was 10% of the episode. And I'm not going to let that ruin all the good stuff. Like the, the everything with the rancor. I'm obsessed with that right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought they nailed that. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> The the specific question of if this fits the aesthetic of tattooing, I understand that because it, in our mind, yeah, it doesn't because it's clean, it's shiny, it's colorful, like bright and colorful. But so far, a lot about tattooing in this show is different because right now, like, the city is just working differently and a lot of places are really thriving. So, like, the sanctuary isn't something we've mm-hmm. seen we haven't seen something like that on Tatooine before, so. so that's yeah. I'm basically just on board to trust the storytellers that you know they've done a lot right so far. And if I'm a little iffy on this one thing, I'm like, you know what? We still got four episodes, and I'll hang in there, and I'll I'll see what happens, and I'll for sure enjoy the parts that I like. Am definitely super into. Mm-hmm. Diabologist wants to know if Boba Fett is more of a Mandalorian or more of a Tusken Raider. Tuscan Raider. Yeah, I think he's more of a Tuscan Raider at this point. He doesn't. What What has he done to make us think that he cares about Mandalorian culture? That's I jumped straight 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 to uh, the tragedy episode of The Mandalorian, where Den asks him, "Are you Mandalorian? Did you take the creed?" And he's like, "I give my allegiance to no man." I don't think he really considers himself a Mandalorian. He wears his father's armor because he inherited it. It doesn't mean anything to him. Like, that's what I'm taking away from all the Tuscan stuff is, like, that gaffy stick means something to him. Yeah, he had to work for it, uh, and, you know, he feels like that's something that he made and he deserves. And, like, it, like you said, it means something to him. He just inherited the armor and made a name for himself based off of what 
you know, everyone knew about Django Fett. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of copied his life. Yeah. And, And I think that is the story of the book of Boba Fett is that we're seeing him reconcile his past and his uh, future, I guess, or his present as a Tusken Raider, trying to find the balance between who he was and who he wants to be and what that looks like. But yeah, I loved uh, in the Black Kersantan fight, he reaches for the Mandalorian gear and can't get to it. It does nothing to help him. And then he gets the gaffy stick. And I'm like, yes, that's that's how he takes on Black Kersantan mm-hmm. in his undies with a gaffy stick. Like, th- that's his identity. Strip it down to basics, <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. J.D. Rice asks why the huts need people to carry them when there is floating technology. <laughs> because they can. I think the cruelty is the point. Yes. This is like a, a status mm-hmm. thing. It's like, look, I know the technology exists, but... These people are basically my slaves, uh, so and they're going to carry me yeah. around. I mean, I assume they are slaves. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just a. I'm going to exert my power and my influence, and I'm going to show it off by literally standing on the backs of those less fortunate than me. Mm-hmm. A lot of symbolism going on there. <laughs> it's very subtle. <laughs> Sooner Thrawn wants to know how much time has passed between Boba Fett leaving the Tuscan camp and present day. I wanted to talk about this because I feel like I'm going to I'm going to work through it myself emotionally. I am expecting that when we get to the end of this season, I think everything will be caught up. We'll be done with the flashbacks. We're going to see how Boba Fett went from the Sarlacc pit to getting his armor back on Tython. I think that'll probably be the end point. I'm not expecting the timeline to really match up that well. Like, so far, we're almost halfway through the series, and I'm like, maybe a year has passed? Maybe? I mean, they're not, they're obviously not trying to make timeline stuff make sense because, you know, think of how long it takes someone to go across the desert, either walking or on a bantha. They're not taking the time to acknowledge that so i don't think they're going to take the time to acknowledge any other timeline stuff (laughs) that was a joke we made on the live stream was that it it took him two and a half years to get from the tuscan village to moss eisley and then another two and a half to get back so like that there we go there's our five years it's something that we can kind of hand wave away we don't know how long he spent with the tuscans but I'm like, he couldn't have been in that gray jumpsuit for that long. Then again, that's just a Star Wars thing. You know, Han Solo wear the, wore the same outfit for years. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's going to be kind of vague. And we don't know where in the timeline it is right now. We also don't know exactly when uh, The Mandalorian takes place. They have said five years after Return of the Jedi. But they've never really set it in stone in the universe itself. So I think they might be trying to purposefully keep that vague so they can nail it down later. Yeah. I think unless otherwise specifically stated, any timeline stuff has like an ish on it. Five-ish years. Right. Eh. Yeah. I I feel like this series is, at the end of the day, going to feel a little bit like The Empire Strikes Back, where if you start to break down that timeline between Luke and uh, Dagobah, and Han and Leia on the Falcon, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph Mazakis asks if we'll see the Ascendant and their technology in the second phase of the High Republic. 
I like this question. Uh, so the Ascendants are from the Dr. Afra comics, and we're just kind of learning about them. They were dark side enthusiasts, I guess, kind of like the Acolytes of the Beyond. They didn't have access to the Force, but they did make technology that kind of replicated it. It's a really neat story happening in Dr. Afra right now. I, I'm loving it. Uh, we're also kind of learning that at least some of what they did is uh, what Han would call simple tricks and nonsense. Like, one character is using these gloves that, like, will give you the power to levitate things, and we've learned that it's just magnets. Like, it, it... Everything comes down to magnets, guys. <laughs> yeah. All of science revolves around exactly. magnets. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think some of it absolutely is real. Like, there's a mind control device, but maybe they that was, like, the one thing they got right, and everything else is smoke and mirrors. Mm. But they have supposedly been wiped out for a couple hundred years. So I'm like, that timeline, I don't think they said exactly when they were wiped out. But they could play into the High Republic Phase 2 since it's jumping farther into the past. And Alyssa Wong, who writes the Dr. Afra comics, seems to be pretty close with the High Republic people. Dr. Afra has made numerous uh, connections with High Republic stuff already. And she even has a character named after her in Midnight Horizon. So I'm wondering if they've been working together a little bit since Afra is very much a historical... She's an archaeologist, so it makes sense to connect that series to the High Republic. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I I do hope, though, because it sounds a little bit like they're magicians. Kind of. So if they do show up in the High Republic, I need them to take David Blaine's name and like jumble the letters around and have that be one of the characters and just just like a little nod that'd be very fun <laughs> on to youtube questions simba sora riku 3 asks why we never see twi'leks moving their head tails in any of the shows or movies so like like can they move them like like a hand in the books they have set up that that's kind of part of the way they communicate that moving their head tails also means something that's pretty much only ever been done in books. And I think the reason why is because it's a lot easier to just say that and have it happen in a book on the written word. Doing it in live action, like, head tails already look like a pain. Uh, and then to add animatronics inside of them would be rough. Yeah. And it's... I think this it's similar when it comes to animation. It's just extra work. It is difficult, I imagine, to get them to look good in live action because when you when it comes down to it it's going to just look like a cosplayer most of the time and you can see like the wrinkles and the latex that they're using and stuff it's it's part of the reason why uh Ahsoka in the Mandalorian her head tails are pretty short because they kind of messed around with the link and it didn't look good in live action so i i don't think they can move yeah it's just something i think we're going to read about and that's it like, obviously, they could do it in animation, but that seems like something that just is unnecessary, that they would have to then explain in the show. I guess they wouldn't have to. They could just be moving, and, like, it'd be a fun little thing, like if Hera were talking to Cham, and their head tails were moving, and would be like, oh, that's just how they're communicating. Like, I guess that would be fun, but it just seems like extra work for not that much payoff. <laughs> it just, it makes me think of Borgullet, and it's, like, old tentacle things, and I don't know. Seems a little silly. Lord Skywalker wants to know why Obi-Wan didn't mind trick Dr. Evazan or Ponda Baba. Well, I feel like that all happened pretty fast to 
to pull a mind trick out. But also, I was kind of thinking about how, at least in Legends, they explained that mind tricking works best when it's something that someone ultimately does want to do. You just give them a nudge in that direction. So, like, Elon Slees Pagano, you know what? He was unhappy, and he did want to go home and rethink his life. He just needed that little push. He needed a push. Yeah. And Dr. Evazon and Ponda Baba, they have the death sentence in 12 systems. Like, they're, they're people looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. They're, they're out for blood. I don't think they wanted to be talked down. Plus, like, if he had done that in the middle of the cantina, I feel like at least someone else would have seen it and been like, hey, man, that's not cool. Can't do that in here. We all just saw you do that. And mind tricking? Yeah. You just took away their agency. Yeah. Maybe then, then he'd get kicked out, and then we wouldn't have Star Wars. <laughs> Elijah Dunbar asks if the Tuscan Raiders were originally an aquatic species. I've thought a lot about the fact that Tatooine used to be an ocean, maybe not an ocean planet, but it had oceans. I think they've said covered in oceans, which I, oceans plural, I think they've said. So yeah, it's probably a mix of land and ocean. But. Yeah. And like knowing that makes me kind of believe that, yeah, maybe, I mean, there's, it could be why they have to wear all that stuff. Well, our, our friend Ryan from the Blunder Dome, I laughed when I saw this question because last week he sent me like, a wall of texts about his thoughts on just Tatooine potentially being like covered in water. And uh, he, he agrees with this, that maybe that's why they're covered up. They're kind of like the Fremen and they don't want the heat. Like they have to retain as much moisture as they can. He also said that they're grunting communication. Like that could be leftover of like, maybe they used to communicate like whales and that's how they communicated underwater. So, like, if you put a, a Tuscan Raider underwater and you take off all their garb and stuff, maybe, like, they would sound different? They'd sound like whales. It, it might not sound so harsh and more like that, ooh, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because we also talked about Banthas a lot in the live stream last night. Um, and I was like, maybe Banthas were originally designed to be water creatures. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I, I think that there's a lot of things that you could now draw lines to. Um, I absolutely don't think it was on purpose. Like, George Lucas wanted this to be a desert planet in the first Star Wars. He wanted the Tusken Raiders to look Bedouin-ish. So, like, that's where their design came from. But now it's just kind of a fun thing where, like, we, we can speculate and be like, hey, maybe they did used to be like that. And some storyteller down the line could say that and we could watch the evolution of the tuscans or something from ocean to desert it would be interesting to know like what george lucas thinks is like their backstory like does he think that that they were aquatic creatures i doubt it does he even think that uh that planet was an ocean planet probably not (laughs) What if Banthas are, like, really fast underwater? (laughs) Like, really scary? I have so many ideas now for what this could look like. (laughs) Sky Earl wants to know why the Tuscan women and children look different in the Book of Boba Fett. Different tribes. That's it. In Attack of the Clones, that was was one tribe that Anakin slaughtered. And yeah, the, the women and children wore very distinctive, different coverings. 
uh, and then we go to go to this tribe, and we have basically everyone looks like they're trained to be warriors mm-hmm. from children, and like the the biggest badass warrior in that tribe is a woman. So I think that's just everyone ex- expected to do everything in that tribe. You know, we had them all farming; they're all training; they all have gaffy sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's the same as real life tribes. They they're not all going to look the same. Mm-hmm. So. That's all the time we have for questions. If you want to leave a question for next week's video, just put it in the comments below or sign up for Patreon to join our weekly Q&A discussion and get a guaranteed answer. If you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the channel. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And as always, thanks for watching, and may the Force be with you.